Brothers and sisters, hear the good news. God is gracious to forgive and to make you new again. He takes sinners and dashes them into pieces against the rock of Christ. To some, Christ becomes the the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense. But to you, to his covenant children who with a humble and contrite heart seek forgiveness at the cross of Christ, to you he is the chief cornerstone of the temple of the almighty triune God. And you have been made to be a part of this temple as Christ has made you a living stone and placed you into his holy temple that will one day fill the world. Brothers and sisters, having truly confessed our sins, God himself promises you the forgiveness of the Father, the victory of the Son, and the glory and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Believe this and rejoice. God's people say, Amen. Amen. God's word to us this morning begins in the 31st chapter of Proverbs. Beginning in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord. An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax, all works with her hands in delight. She is like merchant ships, and she brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hands to the poor and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of her kindness, of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also. He praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears Yahweh, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. We'll turn now to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. And our reading is verses 1 through 12. And rising up, he went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. And some Pharisees came up to him, testing him, and began to question him whether it is lawful for a man to divorce his wife. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother 
and the two shall become one flesh. Consequently, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And in the house of the disciples, and in the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. We'll turn now to the back of your bulletin and read together as a congregation Psalm 128. Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Forgive your debt of $10,000, but he's not really going to forgive it. He's going to put it on your neighbor. He's stealing from your neighbor. I'm your neighbor. If you live in a household with two breadwinners of $250,000 a year, he's going to forgive your school debt of $20,000, and he's not really going to forgive it. He's going to place it on your neighbor. I'm your neighbor. He's a thief. He claims to be Catholic. There are two problems there. Number one, he does not hold a Catholic doctrine because he allows gender dysphoria to be a normal, propagated, held to practice in this country. The Catholic Church does not believe that. Number two, he believes in killing babies. The Catholic Church does not believe that. The Catholic Pope is a fraud. Because if he held to Catholic doctrine, Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi would not be allowed to go to Mass. Why do they do that? I'll tell you why. They're buying popularity. Biden is buying the vote of the younger generation who are loath to go to the polls. But with his new policies, he'll get them there so that we can promote more homosexuality, more lesbianism, the LGBTQ, and a country dependent on government money. Why will the Pope not stand up? Because the Pope wants people to like him. Now, I say all that, 
because uh, these two men are a kind of federal head. That is, the Pope represents the Catholic Church, the President represents the United States. All men are heads of their families. And so many men in this country and so many men in the church are just like the Pope and just like the President. They act for their own benefit. But our head, Jesus Christ, when we owed something, he did not place the debt on anyone else except himself. He sacrificed himself to pay the debt we owe that we could not pay. And we're set free. This is what heads of households are called to do. The problems in the family, the disgruntlement, the things that aren't right. The head of the house takes them upon himself, makes them his own, and goes to solving them. Well, we're not here to talk about heads today. But women often have a head over them who is not acting like a head. This morning, we're going to talk about femininity. And I just want to read a couple of Proverbs Do you love the Proverbs yet? You've been reading them for five years now. You should have them memorized. I wish I did. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Hyde read for us Proverbs 31. An excellent wife who can find. In other words, this is a rarity. But among God's people, it ought to be just standard fare. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. Then this one. I'm going to read this proverb. It uses the word house, but now let's not think of brick and mortar and wood The word house is being used of a family. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down. But when we go home, in our homes, we show our true colors. People don't see us often in our true colors because when we invite them over, we shape up. But if we could just be a fly on the wall and watch each family in their home, we would know what they're like. This is another proverb. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. We have big houses. We have lots of riches. We live good lives. 
Now, not everybody in this room is like that, but most. And yet, in many of those houses, there is nothing but turmoil, struggle, strife. Better is a dish of vegetables with love, where there is love, than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Same idea. One more. Better is a dry morsel and quietness with it than a house full of feasting with strife. Quietness is the idea, a house that's at peace. Better is, you know, not so much activity and not such great food when the house is at peace, but when there's feasting and a lot of activity and, and people can't be at home and, and there's strife. That's no fun. In fact, that's not Christian. So let me read one more and then we'll move on to what we're going to talk about. Sorry, I got umpteen books up here, so it'll take a while. Uh, most of us uh, are not mm, wise enough. Most of us don't have mastery enough to control what we say. So from time to time, we say things that are not right to say. Some may do it more often than others. All are guilty. Here's what Paul says. Let, your, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, except that which is good for edification, that it might minister grace to those who hear it. In other words, our words are not supposed to be tear-down words. Our words are not supposed to be like a piece of rotten fruit that makes you gag. Our words are supposed to be words that build up and that are gracious. Proverbs tells us, a gracious woman attains honor. Violent men get riches. Paul goes on. And... Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you have been sealed for the day of redemption. So if you misuse your lips, your tongue, your mouth, what Paul's telling you is you are causing grief to the third person of the triune God who, as a Christian, lives inside you. And he is the seal, the mark, that guarantees that when the Lord returns, you will be finally redeemed. Paul goes on. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice 
maliciousness. The idea that you say something, you do something because you know if you poke your mate, it'll hurt him. And you gain the upper hand. No, Paul says, listen, all these things are sin. Listen to me. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all maliciousness, malice. And instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Back to Proverbs chapter 12. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. There's our message. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Now, you just take a regular person and they got no crown on their head. But when you inaugurate somebody as king or queen, you put a crown on their head. And that crown talks about their majesty, their goodness, their righteousness. That's what the crown is for. And, Paul, and, and Solomon says, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But the wife who shames her husband is like rottenness in his bones. His skeleton is decaying. He's falling apart. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we've been working with this passage. And let me just say, before I read a few verses out of it again, that when you think about the Apostle Paul, or you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, and you look through the Gospels, Jesus refers all the way back to creation to make his points. What God has joined together, don't let man put asunder. When you think about the Apostle Paul, he has a lot to say about men and women, and it goes all the way back to the first creation, the explanation of the creation of man, and the fall. So what Paul has to say, from which he derives principles and commandments and an order of life, has nothing to do with culture. Today in the church, we have decided to take the Bible and say, oh, that was the culture of that day. And so... We're beyond that culture, so we don't have to do it that way. You know, God's not that stupid. He knows how to write things that last eternally. Now, it's true that within the Bible, there are cultural practices that are not incumbent upon us. For example, one of the cultural practices was your parents picked out your mate for you. Anybody in here want that right now? Well, of course, all parents would like to do that for their kids. But, of course, their kids wouldn't like them to do it. There's a cultural practice of washing feet. 
Ah, do you do that at your house? If I come to your house, will you take my shoes and socks off, wash my feet? Oh, and, 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 and if you're a woman, dry them with your hair. And then stick my socks and shoes back on? Oh, I don't think so. But there was a reason for it. That reason doesn't exist today because of the cross. Well, we don't have time to explain that. So when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and if we went on to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we will look at Ephesians and a couple of places in Timothy. When Paul is making points, particularly about the family, he goes back to creation. It has nothing to do with what the culture of the day was. This is the way God set things up. So in 1 Corinthians chapter, 7, chapter 11, and remember, we're talking about head coverings here, which have to do with a, a way of worshiping during prayer and prophecy. We're not concerned about that part of it. We're just concerned about Paul's reasoning, which is broader than prayer and prophecy. It goes back to creation. So he says in verse 7 of chapter 11, For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and the glory of since he is the image and the glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. An excellent wife is a crown to her husband. For a man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, Man was not created for the woman's sake, but the woman for the man's sake. Uh, we'll skip verse 10. doesn't apply to what we're talking about today. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also... The man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. There's what we're going to talk about. So, Paul is going back to creation, and these words aren't exactly used in creation, but if you follow the storyline, which we did a little bit last week, we're going to do it a little bit again this week, you will see what Paul's talking about. So, you know the basic story of creation. In six days, God created heaven and earth, and on the sixth day, he created the land animals, and after he created the land animals, then he created man, and God had said, let's make man in our image according to our likeness, and let's give them rule over the fish and over the birds and over the cattle and over everything that creeps on the earth. So God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he made him singular... Male and female, he made them as a pair. So when we use the word man, this comes straight from the Bible. We're talking about man gen generically. Not male or female, just man, mankind. But mankind comes as male and female. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and take dominion over it. That's the creation account. God is powerful. He speaks, and boom, it happens. He hasn't changed. He still does it today. 
Sometimes he speaks through somebody who's talking to you. And just like that, the light goes on. Oh, yeah, Jesus is king. Or you might pick up the Bible. You may not even believe in the Bible, but you decide, well, I'm going to read it. You start reading it, and boom, God's talking. The light goes, oh, this is true. That's what the six-day creation is about. God speaks, and it happens. The second creation account is just a narrowing down, and it's focusing on the creation of mankind, and that comes in Genesis chapter 2. And we don't have time to explore it in depth, but we do want to say a few things about it. So down in verse 7, it says, And Yahweh God... Excuse me, I'm reading verse 8. Verse 7. Then Yahweh God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now God comes down, and he's created the earth. He snoops down, he gets a little dust, shapes it up, and... Adam's alive. What is that? That is the breath of heaven and the dust of earth. Heaven and earth come together and man is made. And then God creates his garden to put Adam in, in uh, verses 8 and following. And in this garden, he makes all kinds of trees that are good to look at and good for food. And in conjunction with those trees is one called the tree of life, one called the tree of good and evil, and they're both pleasant to look at, and they're good for food. And he puts the man into the garden, and we get a description of how the garden is watered, and then how water flows out of the garden to uh, water the other parts of the earth. In verse 15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden, to cultivate it and to keep it. Remember, double meaning. Cultivate the ground or serve the garden sanctuary. To keep it, keep the garden, watch over it, or guard the sanctuary. And Yahweh God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat from it, surely you will die. So the man's told what to do, and as we discussed last week, he's supposed to provide and protect. That's what headship is. It narrows down to his family. He provides for his family, his wife and his kids, and he protects them. On a physical level, he provides food, clothing, conjugal rights for his wife, and he protects his wife and his kids. On a spiritual level, he provides food, God's food, teaches his wife and his kids God's word so they don't just know about God, they come to know God. And he protects them from spiritual error, from that one who's like a lion prowling about seeking someone to devour. And all the way through chapter 1, God makes light and darkness. It's good. Good, 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 good. All the way through chapter 1. And then you come down to chapter 2, and he's talking about man. And in verse 18, he says, 
Then Yahweh God said, it's not good. What's not good? It's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now, Adam names all the animals, and in naming the animals, there's not a helper suitable for him. So he's learning from the animals. God made animals, and we learn from the animals. They're somewhat made in our image. They're kind of like us. It's hard for me to admit that. Some of you don't know, I'm not a big animal lover. When I get a new body, I suppose I will be. So Adam names the animals, and he must think it's not good to be alone either because he sees all these animals in pairs, and so God then puts him to sleep, takes a rib flesh out of his side, and with that rib flesh, he creates a woman and brings her to the man, and the man says, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this cause a man shall leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Garden. All the trees, everything's there for Adam to work with. He's given the rules. He knows what to do. But no woman, and then God brings him a woman. Here they are in the garden, and... Adam knows what he's supposed to do, and he knows the rules, and now he's got a wife who wasn't there when all of this was told, which gives us a hint. The man is to lead his wife. And just to help us understand that this is showing us something about man and woman, we're told, ah, here stands Adam, here stands Eve, and they're naked. And so, pops into your mind, right at church, naked man, naked woman. Right? Because God wants us to see that this woman who came out of this man now fits together with him. He separated the man into two pieces so that he could create a woman and bring her back to the man and they would become one. Now, let me ask you this. Did God make them one? She's out of him. She is him. That's what Paul tells us. If you love your wife, you love yourself. She is him. She was taken out of him. Now she's brought back. Did God bring them back and unite them so they could yell at each other, be angry with each other, slander each other. That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? How did that come about? Because that's what happens in so many families. So many families are just turmoil. And so what they do is they fly all different directions, they come back home, they don't even necessarily eat together. Husband and wife may sleep in the same bed, but then they're off on their own thing again. But God made them one. And as we've been seeing in Malachi, he made them one for one reason, well, more than one, but one in Malachi, that they might produce godly offspring. There it is. Man has this huge task. The task has not changed. 
Now, some of you have asked, and rightly so, you should ask it, okay, how does the New Testament change things? Man was made to rule the earth. But Matthew says, now I have authority over heaven and earth, so go make, listen to me, make the nations disciples. But in the Old Testament, you see, they rule over the fish, all that stuff, and they're supposed to conquer the whole earth, extend this garden all the way around the world. And for a man to do that, he's got to have a wife that produces offspring, and they have children, and then grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, and it just goes generation after generation until you got where we are today with 8 billion people on the earth. Well, the mission has not changed. It has been clarified, but it has not changed. The mission is still to subdue the earth in righteousness and now to get righteousness we have to go out and we have to talk to people about christ because they are unrighteous and they're doomed to an eternal judgment unless they come to faith in jesus christ so that's part of our mission but it hasn't changed the whole goal for man to subdue and rule over the earth and if you don't believe me if you don't believe me then I challenge you to read Hebrews chapter 2, quoting from Psalm 8. And Psalm 8 is, what is man that you think about him? What is man that you consider him? You made him lower than God, but you've given him glory and honor and put him in charge of the fish and the birds and everything. And then you come to Hebrews chapter 2, and Paul, if it's Paul, says God didn't MJ, uh, uh, God did not give subjection to the angels the world to come about which we are speaking and then as proof he quotes Psalm 8 oh well we don't quite see men with all this glory and honor yet but we do see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels that he might taste death for every man and now he's crowned with glory and honor. The glory and honor of what? Psalm 8. Creation. And he's bringing many sons to glory, it goes on to say. He's not talking about going to heaven. The glory of Psalm 8 is ruling the earth. Now, Jesus sits in heaven, and he reigns and rules, and he's seated us in heavenly places with him to reign and to rule with the gospel and otherwise. And one day he will return and the whole earth will be subject to Christ and to those who have trusted him. That's the purpose. So Eve's created. The man is made to provide and to protect. Why is the woman made? Helper. Now, we don't like that in our culture because being a helper means something that is a little less than the guy who's getting helped. That is not a biblical view. That is a cultural view. It is 
the stupidest notion one could think of. Because if that's the case in our country, the only guy that's anybody is the president because he's at the top. And all the rest of us are lesser nothings. But I'm guaranteeing you that there's a lot of people in this room smarter than the president. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> no. We're talking about a covenant. And a man and wife come together in covenant. It's a bond. It's a union. Ties them together. It's stated with words. It's practiced with body. And this is a covenant that God has ordained. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And she's going to help him. Help him do what? Broadly speaking, rule over the fish, the birds, the, everything. But in chapter 2, he's in a garden. And he's called to cultivate it and keep it. He's called to serve this sanctuary garden where God comes to meet with him, this holy place. And he's called to protect it. What is she called to do? Well, she's called to help there. But this sanctuary garden is going to be pushed out through the whole earth. And to do that, they have to have progeny. And of course, if you're going to push out a sanctuary, a holy place around the world, you have to have godly progeny. Because ungodly progeny is not interested in the project. Ungodly progeny is where our country is. Our country is interested in whatever is right in anyone's own eyes. No one can stand anybody in authority, any rule. No one can prove anything, although everyone claims, do the science, do the science. Well, if you do the science, friends, if you do the science, you've got to have a God. Because if you got nothing, stuff just doesn't pop out from anywhere. Right? You got to have God. If you believe in science, you believe in God. If you don't believe in God, you don't really believe in science. You believe in, ha, huh, whatever I think is right. I will be God. Okay, so the man is provide, protect. The woman is help. This help works it out in a covenant relationship in a couple of ways. And they're terms that are not popular today. One of the terms is the term submission. With submission goes respect. Now, if I can find Ephesians again, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Looking desperately for it, found it. Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, just, uh, just for fun, let's look at verse, verse 
18, we all know this pretty well, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, this is Ephesians 5, 18, but be filled with the Spirit. So when someone comes to know Christ, well, it's compared and contrasted with drinking a bottle of wine. If you drink a bottle of wine, what's going to happen to you? You're going to be controlled by that wine. You probably laugh when you're not supposed to laugh. You'll probably say stupid things. You might fall down. You probably will puke. All that good stuff. Over here you come and the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And what is it saying? You're controlled by the Spirit. In other words, you do things you would not normally do. And he goes on to tell us what they are. Verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. <sighs> Praising God. Two, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Thankful. <sighs> well, now, if that's who you are, and if you've produced a godly progeny, then that's who your kids are. Are your kids thankful? Or are they just craven? And being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. The word fear is the word respect. And so just look down at the end of the chapter. I know we've said this, but we need reminding. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife even as himself and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. So there are bookends, verse 21 and verse 33, respect. Subject to one another in fear of Christ, respect of Christ. Wife, see to it that she respect her husband. Okay, so I said this comes down to submission. Submission, another term for submission is the word respect. The word submission is what everybody in this room has. There's nobody in this room who's not subject to someone else. If you go to work and you got a boss, you have to submit. All of us have hierarchy over us until you get to the very top and at the very top is Christ and he's over us and we're called to submit and another word for submit is the word respect and so here you have the covenant head and in this covenant marriage there's a male and there's a female the man is the head he watches over the whole marriage and everything that happens and the woman is his helper. She might be smarter than he is. She might have more skills than he does. But he's the head and she's the helper. And you can tell what kind of helper she is because she respects him. 
No, of course. Heads are always heads. The head of a marriage is always the head. It doesn't change. It's just the way God made it. And some heads aren't very respectable. Why aren't they respectable? Well, what's a head supposed to do? We saw it last week. One, he's supposed to provide. Not providing, hard to respect. He's supposed to protect. Not protecting, hard to respect. Of course, on the physical plane, that might be rather easy to provide and protect. But on the spiritual plane, ooh, are you ready, wife, to show respect there? God made this man my head. I'll follow his lead. How do you know a woman is a good helper and a crown to her husband? Oh, well, even when he's not respectable, She treats him and shows him respect. So Paul says the woman originates from the man. And then God puts them back together. They're one. Okay, that oneness has to be a real oneness then. Not just physical oneness but a life purpose oneness. Some people call it a soul oneness. We're on the same plane. We're going the same direction. What direction we're going? We're we're, where the head's leading. That's where we're going. Paul says she was made for the man. So the delight in life the joy in life. If you're made for a purpose and you fulfill that purpose, I assume that's where you find joy in your purpose. She's made for the man. She helps him. Okay? Let's just take a real quick look at that. If you would, turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy... No, sorry. Take that back. Titus. Titus chapter 2. So uh, let me say it this way, and these are not my words. Uh, I, I read them. Not true. I listened to them. The man is oriented to his work, provide, protect. The woman is oriented to her man, help. And boy, does he need help. Titus chapter 2 says, But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. And then skip down to verse 3. Older women. My wife just had her birthday last Wednesday. She turned older. She was already old. She's seven years into old now. Because old in the Bible is 60. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior. That means 
the way you would act at the temple, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. It's a noun, good teachers. In other words, you can watch an older woman and the way she lives will teach you a bunch that they may encourage their younger, young women to love their husbands, love their children, having trouble with the iPhone, love their children, about to throw it out the back wall, uh, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands that the word of God might not be dishonored. The word is blasphemed, spoken against. Okay, so older women, by the way they've lived, they have a, a, a wealth of knowledge and they've conquered the task of being a woman. And you watch the older women, young women, and you discover how to live. And there are seven things Seven, count them, love their husbands, love their children, be sensible, be pure, be workers at home, be kind. I got them mixed up in order. Be kind and be submissive. So you take the one on each end, love your husband, and what's on the other end? Submission. Then you move in one step. You have love your children. What's the one step in on the other end? Be kind. Workers at home matched up with sensible. And right smack dab in the middle is this word pure. Pure. It has a sense of being innocent. It's cognate to the idea of being holy. Now, these are not just little sweet women who run around in long dresses and bonnets, you know, and say yes, sir, and all that good stuff. Yeah, you know, all, all that's fine. I'm not trying to mock that. But when you look at the woman of Proverbs 31, which is, is just a, in Proverbs, this is an ideal woman. And you notice, we read it, to do what she did, you'd have to be rich. It's talking about the kind of woman that's going to be with a king. Most of us aren't on that level. We're not kings in that sense, and our wives aren't queens. Only in another sense that's true. She works hard for her family. She works hard for the poor. Gracious words come from her mouth. She doesn't just clean her house. She goes abroad and gets things for her house. Now, everybody's not going to be the same. This is, this is the ideal. There is no ideal woman and ideal man. I mean, these are, these are pictures of what it includes. To give the picture that submission does not mean oh, roll over like a doormat. That's not the picture. She's a helper. 
She's a helper who's submissive, like Sarah was submissive to Abraham and called him Lord, which, by the way, she did not do that in public. She did it in the house with no one else to hear her, but she forgot the angels outside could hear her, and they did hear her. She was submissive to Abraham when she was past the age of bearing children, and she'd been barren all her life. And the promise came, next time this year you'll have a child. And she laughed and said, will I have pleasure with my Lord? And sure enough, a year later, she had a child. And his name was Isaac. Laughter. So Peter goes on to say, and you've become her daughters if you do what's right without being frightened by any fear. Oh, who will I be if I'm just a helper? Just? This project's huge. This project's not just about, oh, what I can acquire on the earth here and have a nice house and a nice yard and drive nice cars and be respected. It's not. No, the project's bigger. The project is turning a wicked world into a righteous world. That's the project. And it's done family by family who live this out. And husband loves his wife, sacrifices for her. Wife submits to husband, respects him. They come together and they produce children and their children turn out like them. Uh, one verse just popped in my head. There are many others. This one's about a woman. I'm, I'm not saying this because of women now, but it's true of men and women. It's in Proverbs 29, 15. The child who gets his way brings shame to his mother. You've seen it in the store, haven't you? You know, a child throws a fit, drops down in the aisle, wants a certain thing, just screams and hollers, and the poor mother doesn't know what to do. And so what does she do? She hands him what he wants, and everybody who's walking by is going, shaking their head. See? So husband and wife come together on the same plane. Husband, head, giving direction, because they have a common purpose. And they raise children. This is what we're going to talk about. Not the next two weeks. But after that, we're going to talk about this. How to turn children into godly children. I'm going to end on this note. Because if your children don't respect you, mom and dad, if your children don't do what you say, mom and dad, your children won't respect anybody. But God has promises. For husband and wife who are made one so that they produce a godly offspring. So a quiet, a house that a woman's running, 
under her husband becomes this, this joy to be in a quiet place, a good place, a joyful place. Where you say to your kid, hey, go upstairs and clean up your room. Boom. The kid's off to clean up his room. Stand with me. Father, we thank you for the good creation that you've made and how you ordered it. And we know the problem is all of us are plagued with our own self-righteousness. So man thinks he knows better than woman. Woman thinks she knows better than man. But in Christ, you bring us together and we lean on your word so that together we know truth and righteousness and we're able to have families that live in truth and righteousness as conquering families warrior families who by example teach the family next door who live in such a way that people say oh, wish my family was like that family And Lord, we know that our Savior died on the cross because of our sin. Eve taking the fruit and eating it and Adam standing by and watching when he was the head. And he's become our head and in him we've sinned. And we all sin every day, but Christ has uh, crushed the serpent's head with his death on the cross and freed us from sin so that we might live like this to the glory of God. Help us to do so. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.